Madness is here. Say goodbye to busted brackets because FanDuel lets you bet on every game of the tournament. Whether you're betting on a big upset or a one seed, it's time to go dancing on America's number one sports book. Right now, new customers get $200 in bonus bets if your first $5 bet wins on FanDuel. That's 200 bucks to use on point spreads, money lines. You can even pick who's going to win it all. Just visit FanDuel.com slash on three and bet on college hoops until they cut down the nets. Must be 21 and older and present in select states. First online real money wager only. $10 first deposit required. Bonus issued as non-withdrawable bonus. Bets that expire seven days after receipt. See terms at sportsbook.fanduel.com. FanDuel is offering online sports wagering in Kansas under an agreement with Kansas Star Casino LLC. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or visit fanduel.com slash RG in Colorado, Iowa, Michigan, New Jersey, Ohio, Pennsylvania, Illinois, Kentucky, Tennessee, Virginia, and Vermont. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP or text next step to 53342 in Arizona, 1-888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org slash chat in Connecticut, 1-800-9-WITH-IT in Indiana, 1-800-522-4700 or visit ksgamblinghelp.com. Dot com in Kansas, one eight seven 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 zero stop in Louisiana. Visit mdgamblinghelp.org in Maryland. Visit one eight hundred gambler.net in West Virginia or call one eight hundred five two two four seven zero zero in Wyoming. Hope is here. Visit gambling helpline ma.org or call eight hundred three two seven fifty fifty four twenty four seven support in Massachusetts or call one eight seven seven eight hope. NY or text Hope NY in New York. here for another Friday, even though I've never missed a Friday in my life. Like, Friday has always come through, Nate. Never skipped right to Saturday. It's the BWI Live Show. Nate, how you doing? I like Friday. Friday's good. Yeah. Yeah. I just... Here's the thing. I'm going to start right off the bat. I feel like I have a good handle on this game, but I also feel like I don't have a good handle on this game. Of... Okay. I, I think we got a strong five things to watch for today, Nate, but I don't know how it's going to play out. I don't have a strong feeling about who's got the advantage in these situations. I am here to be educated by you, so don't let me down. I, uh, okay. You know, this is, <laughs> this, is, this is the arrangement, T. Frank. We've, yeah. we've been over this. Uh, you explained <laughs> things to me, and... And then I explain things from 50,000 feet to you. That's that's how it has to work. Yes. Yeah. So that's I'm I'm thinking we're going to get there together today. This is maybe there's going to be a little bit of a bing inspiration, a little extemporaneous thought uh, as we go through a lot of these things that are going to determine Penn State's success or failure against Maryland this coming weekend. Um, It is a it is a slow Friday night. And here's just before we get started, a little more shop talk. I get the feeling people get exhausted by football. Do you ever get the feeling like it is a like by November, the people, the hardcore people are still here. We've still got the regulars here on the BWI live show. But sure. like you look at the information, I look at our our information and people just get fatigued. Where it's like we start in September and it's red hot. And whether it's good or bad, people are around. By November, everyone's like is it Thanksgiving yet? Do you ever get yeah. that sense? I guess. I, I don't know. Basketball is longer, right? Like the season yeah. is longer for basketball. Um, but yeah, I, you know, look, it's 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 an interesting ecosystem for sure in the sense that uh, 12 games are take place over three months. And then we spend the other nine months talking about not being able to wait for <laughs> those three months. Right. So, right. 
It's so this just, is it. Like, I mean, this, I mean, there's one month left. There's one. There's yeah. one month left of this. It's, uh, you know, uh, keep 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 eating, uh, keep eating what's on your plate because it is soon to go away. Yeah, and all of that is to say, please like the video and subscribe to BlueWhiteIllustrated.com. <laughs> Let's keep let's keep the energy up. I'm like I always I always say it doesn't matter if it's Maryland or Illinois or another team that doesn't interest you on the Big Ten West side or a non-conference opponent. Nate and I we're bringing the heat every single week here on the Friday show. I'm bringing you this is some meaty stuff. Like I might get in trouble sometimes because there's a lot of good information here that might be a great article over at BlueWhiteIllustrated.com, but I give it to you on Fridays. Um, because I feel like you deserve it after yep. being with us all week long. So please just help us fight the internet and the, the almighty algorithm. One thing in my life, it is the almighty algorithm. Um, because it's always, it's a moving target, Nate. And, uh, I'm a pretty dogmatic person. I found just want to do the same good job every day. Yeah, I, I mean, those are those are windmills that I choose not to fight, but uh, <laughs> I, I get it. I get it for sure. Yeah. Um, so we'll be talking to you in the chat as well today. So your questions, your thoughts, your comments. I some of the sometimes your opinions uh, don't make it to the show because they are uh, pretty strident. Um, but if you've got some questions and some things that maybe you, topics of discussion, we can always get to those uh, in the chat as well. But let's get to it, Nate. I'll start us yep. off, and then you can take it from here with number five. Number five. So I feel like a broken record because a lot of times fo football's pretty basic. You have a couple of different templates to choose from. Um, and the Maryland run defense is one that Penn State has seen before this year. But it's a three-down front. So that has caused Penn State some problems in the past, especially with their interior run blocking. So number five this week, um, when you play three guys, especially in the interior, you remember back to the Illinois game, it's going to be more of that. Maryland is built in a similar way to Illinois. Big defensive ends. I think it was Khalil Dinkins talked about that earlier this week uh, on, a, on a Zoom call with the media. So... Just in general, that's the game plan you're going to see from Maryland, and that dictates what options are going to work for the Penn State offense, what part of the base offense they're going to go with. And traditionally, what I've seen from Penn State is they're going to use a lot of outside zone and then some specific pulling techniques. Maybe it's counter or pin and pull. Maybe they want to go you know, wild and crazy and use pin and pull this week. But kind of standard attack from Penn State in those areas. So... I think specifically the interior guys, Hunter Norzad, J.B. Nelson, are going to be really important in this game. James Franklin uh, on his radio show last night brought up, uh, he was talking about the offensive line, Penn State's offensive line, and how it's a grown man's game, right? I mean, that's kind of his line that he uses. Yeah. Uh, but he he pointed out specifically, and, and he had not done this previously this week, to my recollection, he was like, uh, you know, Maryland has a 328-pound uh, defensive lineman that yeah. you got to play at, right? Like it's, those are the facts. There's yeah, no, yeah. <laughs> there's no getting around that. Right. I, I, it's not to say that he is, uh, going to wreck the game or, or be a world record, but like, you know, as an offensive line, they're going to have to handle, uh, that. So I, yeah. I, I see, I think you have a couple of uh, guys that you've picked out as, uh, being potentially dangerous to to what Penn State is doing in the middle there. Yeah, so the 328-pound nose tackle, and I apologize. I'm not a good reporter like you who learns all the information like names <laughs> that are important. I'm just like, yeah, uh, I think he's. I think his number is 92 or 93. He's huge. That's enough. That's enough. Yeah. Give um, me a number. He's not that good. So this is the problem okay. with like 320-pound defensive tackles. Like he is a problem for Penn State, but... It's not, this is not the Ohio State game where Ty Hamilton was like big and strong and had super long arms and might be a matchup athletic disadvantage for Penn State, who is big and athletic themselves on the interior. Um, if you can corral that guy, he's not going to move very well, which is why I think Hunter Norzad and once again, trying to get some of those reach blocks on the interior is going to be a big thing against a nose tackle, a three technique. But uh, the guy that can ruin that, I think, is Donnell Brown, number 19, 
I did get his name. Uh, I, he's their best defender up front. He's physical. He is uh, potentially an NFL defensive end from a length and size and athleticism standpoint. I really like what he brings as a – they rotate a lot up front, but he is a guy that I think can, against Penn State's tight ends who have been inconsistent at best when it comes to run blocking in certain techniques and at certain positions and against certain types of players, this is one they could struggle against. And, and it sounds like you think – uh, the running backs have a role in this as well, right? I mean, it's not just yeah. it's not just the the blocks themselves. Well, this is something that you and I talked about, and this is one of the things that that I, I alluded to on the Thursday show, talking about Penn State's uh, productivity in the run game, and the the number that just kind of shocked me when I looked at an eight game sample from last year and this year, and the production for Nick Singleton, um, it's exactly the same. It's just ridiculous how close it is between the two situations where last year uh, he broke 15, uh, 16 tackles through through eight games in 2022. And we were talking about, at this point, by Nick Singleton, breakout player, monster, height, weight, speed, unstoppable guy. Well, in 2023, he's broken 15 tackles. And that's not a lot, guys. Like, that is not a lot, even considering... Uh, that they split carries in the backfield for Penn State football. So, um, you know, it's relatively the same for Katron Allen as well. His productivity on those broken tackles has been better, and Singleton's productivity has obviously been different because he doesn't have as many long runs. But if you look at the efficiency metrics, um, outside of explosive plays, I think he's more efficient this year. It's just, it's very similar to what they did last year. So, if we want to look at this as like an like a curve of things got harder and they got better, they kind of followed a straight path. Like they didn't yeah. they didn't get better than the situation with teams focusing on them this year. They just maintained their level of productivity, which it feels like this is why the feels you can't ever totally trust your feels because yeah. factually like from a productivity standpoint, Nick Singleton has been as productive as he was last year. And I think better in certain situations where he's getting more of those four yard carries and five yard carries than he did last year, uh, where there were some more obvious dead plays. It, it's an anecdotal world, right? These are, these are the, our memories of Nick Singleton last year are Auburn and Ohio, right? And, and the Rose like, bowl and the Rose bowl. Like those yep. were massive plays that he had, and they kind of defined him to us, but the the non those plays are the same, or in my mind, probably just a little like a hair better in terms mm -hmm. of the normalcy uh, and given the attention that he's faced. Right? If you if the way that you're explaining it, the difficulty level getting higher and you maintaining the same uh, productivity under those circumstances is that's an improvement like yeah yeah one way or the other it, it may feel slight and it may not be the same in our heads but uh you know we'll see we'll see yeah <laughs> we'll, see, we'll see what happens uh this is uh this, th this is an efficiency game for penn state uh, and just going a little bit deeper into these numbers and give you some general sense without the specifics is penn state leads the big 10 in rushing attempts so therefore their volumetric stats are going to be good so mm -hmm. broken tackles, they're pretty good in the Big Ten. Um, total yards after contact, they're good in the Big Ten. But if you look at the efficiency of uh, yards after contact per carry, mm -hmm. it's in the middle of the pack. And that's where yeah. if you're talking about this, these these runners are good. Nick Singleton is good. Catron Allen is a good runner. But are they the superstars we built them into in kind of the conversation I was driving at yesterday of, did the opinion of the Penn State offense get overinflated last this offseason? This is where I think it's fair to say a shortfall is that they aren't superstars. They have the potential to be, but they aren't yep. right now. So when I think that the one number I can I can cite off the top of my head is 2.9 yards uh, after contact per carry, which is smack dab in the middle of Big Ten running backs. And in this game, what I'm driving at for this first point is to keep Penn State out of some dangerous situations that even a Maryland team can present you because there are good parts of this uh, this defense that we'll get to in a little bit. 
they are generally good as a unit up front from a scheme perspective and from a what Penn State likes to do perspective that can cause Penn, that can cause the running game some challenges. So this is absolutely a game you need the best from Katron Allen breaking tackles. To me, this is a Katron Allen game. It, yep. you're, I, I failed to see based on how they play with a lot of big bodies, you know, even their linebackers are big, thick kids. You're not going to get a lot of explosive plays, I don't think, especially with the way they play in the secondary, play a lot of quarters, which we've talked a lot about this year. So you need efficiency in staying on schedule, and and Catron Allen has been the more reliable breaker of tackles and getter of yards. Nick has been good, but if you're looking for creating and elevating the offense, Catron Allen, to me, I think has to have a big hand in this game of breaking a tackle that is obvious, not not like what we said last week against Indiana. They're not going to get a lot of perfect run blocks this week, in my yep. opinion. They're going to get them with some resistance to the linebackers, and maybe there's an arm out, and you know, you you kind of like the fall off of the block onto the running back. They got to break that tackle to get six yards to make it second and four or convert that first down. This is not going to be where I'm saying, hey, they got one-on-one -on -one with a safety. They need to break this tackle. It's going gonna, it's gonna to be a muddier game up front, I think. All right. And, and uh, potentially plays into you know, that complimentary side of things as well, right. In terms of how Maryland scores, how like there, there is a world where Maryland's defense is on the field for a bunch of this game, right. Yep. At time of possession, Maryland is way down uh, nationally and in the big 10. So there, there probably are some opportunities there that you would think certainly through the running game, Penn state will have on Saturday. Should we move on? Number four. Yeah. yeah let's do that. Number four. I will say I was a little surprised when Fitz talked about the yesterday of the run defense. Just one last point on that, that he said that they were that Maryland was concerned about their run defense. I think it's the strength of their defense. Um, but in this situation, I'm just the front seven does a lot for this scheme. So we're going to be talking about cover zero and pressures, because like I said, Donnell Brown is a good football player who could turn it on and be a nightmare for Penn State. There's a couple of other guys. Jay Sean Barham is kind of their Abdul Carter. Uh, and in this situation, they are prolific in pass rush. You made this point yesterday that was great. Let's put some context to that point of five players with 10 plus pressures on this defense. You said uh, in terms of sacks, they are 12th nationally. Jay Sean Barham is third among Big Ten linebackers with 14 pressures. So they bring from the second level. They've got two guys in the top 10 from linebackers that bring pressure on the quarterback. So this is not a one guy dominates. It's a schemed thing where they're doing zone pressures. Uh, a lot of, I'd be curious to look at their unblocked pressures of guys that through scheme get to the quarterback without a blocker because that's what it feels like. There's no, if you go look at the PFF metrics and you look at their win rates and their their PFF pass rushing grades, like I know that that can be, to, you know, uh, give or take, but I think it is indicative and it is instructive to say there's not one dude who wins one-on-one. -on -one. It's a collective effort. Um, and I think that's going to be something that Penn State, this is the area where I have the most gray air. I don't have a good feel of, yep. can Penn State handle this pressure? Because it's not the same as the stunts and the twists they've seen previously. It is pretty head on and they've done a good job of holding up against those sort of things. And what happens to Drew when he's under those conditions, right? That, right. To, to me, that is that is a huge piece of this is uh, it's it's not even necessarily just the sacks allowed. It, it's what happens to Drew when he's. I mean, you were talking about it at the Blue White game last year, right? Like the it is a it is a challenge for any quarterback, but particularly in predictable uh, yeah. third down passing situations, I, I think it becomes uh, pretty obviously a problem uh, for Penn State to handle those types of things. I, I want to give him credit because he's never, like I've said in the Illinois game or even last week where I thought for the first time ever that interception, he fully collapsed from a mental standpoint where he did mm -hmm. multiple bad things that led to an interception, but he came right back. So when it comes to the pressure, Drew Aller feels pressure that isn't there a lot. And this is a defense that could do that to him because they're bringing it from all different angles, even if it's blocked and even if it's not five or six man pressures they are 
making it feel that way. And going all the way back to when he had to come in against Michigan, and they had a they had a blitz on, and the blitzer was, I think, five yards from the line of scrimmage, and Drew Aller fired the ball out. Like, either he saw something early, or he saw the pressure and was like, I got to get the ball out because I don't want to take a negative play. That is absolutely a part of his game, but he does... Even to you mentioned in the blue-white game, he's able to fight through that at times and go to attack a specific thing with confidence later. Now, in that situation, pretty basic cover two is what he was attacking, you know, because it's the blue-white game. But mm -hmm. that's going to be a big part of this is um, how he handles that because there will be opportunities in the secondary. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Three. We ready? Oh, yeah. Number three. So this is our good old friend, Cover Zero. Receivers in space, one-on-one, -on -one, and it's going to be a part of the story. Now, again, this is an area where I think, like, in my brutal honesty, in my preparation, I didn't see enough of these situations to get a good beat on when they use it specifically. But Maryland uses Cover Zero. I had to double-check my uh, data and everything I was looking at. Uh, it's insane. They use it, I think, probably two to three times more than a regular defense that's aggressive and uses it 4% of the time. So they are massively invested in causing pressure, which leads us back to having five guys that have 10-plus pressures because they're bringing the house quite a bit. Um, and I think this is an area where Penn State has to win. And specifically, this is man coverage, not cover zero, but just when they're in man coverage and zero is an opportunity to do that. It's a little bit boomer bust. So Jaquan Shepard, 21% completion percentage against uh, man coverage. That's not good. But Tarheeb still, one of their um, other corners, their other starting corner, 144 yards, eight catches, giving up like 18 yards a catch, but also two interceptions. I think that those are a result of pressure and not good coverage. When I look at this defense, just from a film perspective, the corners are the weakness despite those numbers. They generally, the the even the slot corners, I don't feel like they have a strong option there outside of maybe some safety coverage. So if Penn State gets these man-covered situations, here we are again, Nate. Yeah. Beat cover zero and beat press man coverage because th that's coming this game whether or not they play quarters and it's off and soft for most of the game they will in high leverage situations you know set their hair on fire and run after the quarterback fair to call this weakness versus weakness though in a <laughs> sense right because yeah. uh, if trey wallace isn't a go on saturday if uh you know you're using Liam Clifford more, yeah. Dante Cephas more, you know, how, how do you see, how has Penn state been, uh, against those looks this season? Oh, which week? Because this is the, this is the part, Nate, this is the part where last week, when we're talking about progress from the offense, this is where I saw genuine progress where they blocked it up and in cover zero situations, drew Aller through, I believe the dropped pass. Yeah, yeah, yes, that's correct. The dropped pass to Keandre Lambert-Smith where it was a dime over two linebackers in his face. That was a cover zero situation. The touchdown to Theo Johnson was a cover zero situation. Um, you know, press man coverage, the touch, the touchdown to Keandre Lambert-Smith later in the game, that is a single coverage situation. But um, against zero, they were aggressive and drew threw the ball down the field because that was the read. That's where it was. How that happens, I guess you, you look at, the Ohio State game, roll back there. They had an open pass, which would have been a touchdown had the ball not been batted down the line of scrimmage. So they have been good. <laughs> Sneakily, they have been yeah. better against cover zero, but they haven't been able to convert consistently. And that consistency word that you talked about all the way back on Tuesday, in this game, I, I, I want to believe in the positive because I want to see great quarterback play from Drew Aller. Yep. 
it's just it's more fun to watch that than it is to watch the frustration and the constipation of an offense that can't move the football. So I'm going to say yes in these situations, despite not having um, Trey Wallace, because they didn't have him for most of the game last sure. week. Sure. That this is an area where Penn State can win. Their 12 personnel can win. You're going to get Theo Johnson, Keandre Lambert-Smith. That's why they're specifically up here. Yeah. These are the dudes that have to do it because we haven't seen Dante Cephas do it. We haven't experienced Malik McLean other than the very first game of the year, catch cover zero pass and then go for a touchdown. So it it's going to be on those dudes. And you're right, not having Trey Wallace changes where Keandre lines up, and that is a big part of it. Does, does it change in your mind uh, when that gets beaten during the course of a game? It, right, if Penn State can beat that early, Right. If 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 what Maryland's uh, doing defensively is something that Penn State can get to and have success against, maybe a chunk play, yeah. maybe not. What you know, whatever. Um, do you think Maryland can be broken of that? And what are the ramifications if they are? So I this is another area where they're on a three game losing streak, and yep. what I saw against them in the Ohio State game specifically was not just a mental collapse from making mistakes and you know mental errors but also some players absolutely uh it affected them mentally where the effort the resignation set in in the second half mailed it in is that what you were going to say mailed I, it in i didn't want to say gave up i okay. didn't want i didn't want to say, i don't ever want to question the desire um of a football player on the football field because it is really hard to play football it is and, and i know that that's uh like it from a physical standpoint it is really hard and to be out there you have to give a certain amount of effort so like that is that i i rarely ever want to question that unless it's obvious um but there were bad body language so yeah i think if you get this early and you you allow the resignation and the frustration to set in for this defense yeah i think you can absolutely make plays against them luke altmeyer looked decent against this defense because they made some plays and i felt like that kind of snowballed the effort from maryland who was still getting good pressure and still uh making his life hard but in the secondary they gave up some plays and it felt like that kind of snowballed from a mental standpoint all right should we should we get to uh the defensive side of the ball for penn state yeah, yeah, I want. I'm trying to comb through the comments and see if there's something here that uh, I don't. I don't want to ignore the the chat. Uh, KJ Johnson says this game has me nervous. Bad matchup, and this Maryland. <laughs> this is Maryland's national championship game. This is something I asked you about yesterday. Or I think we kind of brought up on the show. Yeah. Um, I think that plays into what you just asked, which is. Can you break if if can you break them if they are so up for this game and then things go off the rails early? Yeah, there is there is a path to Penn State blowing out Maryland in this game. There's also many many paths to Penn State struggling to score points as they always do early in the game and giving Maryland the life and the hope that they so yep. they desperately want in this game. James Franklin had an interesting stat last night that I I had not. Uh... I guess I was vaguely aware of it, but not to the extent he said, and I'm paraphrasing. I don't have the exact number. It was something like Penn state has a 96 to nothing advantage in the third quarter of games this season. That's <laughs> so it's funny that you mentioned that because one of the biggest things about the Indiana game was early on and go by the, by the way, go check out T Frank's film room to go see the stuff for yourself early on when fans are saying Drew Aller's missing all these open wide receivers, it's in the first quarter where Indiana's doing something specifically where they're blitzing from a certain part of the field and leaving some one-on-ones or some holes in zones tactically thinking that Drew Aller's not going to get to that side of the progression. And then later in the game, they adapt to that blitz and they're able to counter it. Now, I don't know that they technically did everything. You know, their decision of how they handled it was different than I think what was conventional which is usually you attack the blitz and throw over it but um they were able to adjust in the third quarter and go drive and get points right so that's yep. exactly right young quarterback and communication early in games Penn State struggled with it to begin with and having Mike Yersich in the booth 
I thought would help with these things that he can identify it quickly and then uh, convey that information to Danny O'Brien. But it's still a work in progress to get Drew to see it early in games. Love this it. one, this one from Robert Kaufman, Nate. You know I love the two running backs on the field. Mm-hmm. Um, Robert is doing. Uh, he's playing the best hits on this quest on this comment. Preference is to scheme the run game better. Two running backs on the field eliminate read option plays and Drew and RPOs go goodbye as well. I'm going to I'm going to process this and get my level of uh, uh, stimulation down before I answer this Nate. Just give is me a your second s- to take a deep breath. Is your skin crawling? Too frank? It's it's close. It's close. Um let's I want to address the is first he, part cuz that's Is he easy. speaking Japanese? No, he's not. But there's a lot of misconceptions, Robert. And I'm not, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not trying to put you on the spot here. I, this is something that is common. And I, one of the things I feel like is my job is to disabuse common themes that are incorrect. If you eliminate the RPO, you are not helping the run game at all. You are just eliminating an option for the quarterback. An RPO does not change the run blocking, the run scheme, or anything else. What it does is it adds on an option for the quarterback to pull the ball and throw. And if you eliminate that option, you just eliminate that option. That's it. So it's not helping the run game. It's helping the passing game. And Penn State, in this particular situation, if they get man coverage or if they get specific looks in zone coverage that create one-on-one opportunities and you don't have the RPO on there, you don't get a free five to seven yards on those slants and screens so you want more screens if you're a Penn State football fan that's another common thing I've seen if you eliminate RPO you're eliminating more of those screen options they're options don't eliminate the options the point of this and we'll actually get to this a little bit later so I don't want to empty the entire chamber on this conversation but the options are a benefit to the quarterback they are not a negative now the read option that's a different story and that's something where from a foundational philosophical thing um there's a lot of evidence that having the read option in there doesn't hurt the run game necessarily because you're running from the shotgun and there's 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 some stuff that i'm a little bit ignorant about that i need to actually dive into a little bit more to make sure that i'm not saying something incorrect but a general statement is all offenses now operate primarily out of the shotgun in the nfl and in college it's like 67% of all plays have, have come out of the shotgun in the NFL this year. And the, I imagine college is even higher. I didn't have a chance to look up everything. So if you're in that situation and you're going to be running from the shotgun because your, op- your offense is operating from the shotgun, because it helps the quarterback read the defense. So we're scheming up an offense to help Drew Aller, right? Shotgun helps the quarterback to see the field so he doesn't have to turn around and then assess the defense. And also, you're into your drop already. All of these things that are kind of like standard college football things and NFL things, that like these are the basic reasons of why. This is the why. So in those situations, if you're running from the shotgun, I think using pistol is a great option. That is something that can help you with the tells in the run game. But eliminating the read option, all you're doing is eliminating an option. Now, Drew, that's the part we're going to talk about next, what he has to do. And the final thing is two running backs on the field. I don't want to dismiss this idea because a creative offensive play caller will get those guys in space. But generally, we're going to, again, another thing, I don't want to spoil this, but I'm going to say Roman Hemby, he leads the Big Ten in screen yardage. But his average depth of target is negative four yards so a valuable play in maryland's offense starts negative like almost five yards behind the line of scrimmage so if you're adding more of that into the offense you are creating more opportunities for negative plays or plays for two yards where you throw up your hands and go this offense sucks the coordinator's terrible there's a lot in there so rob uh, robert i i i i glad you said that because I wanted to address all of these things. You are right that the offense needs to adapt some certain things, but I think that where it needs to adapt is not to condense the formation even more and basically like take your shirt off and go uh, fight in the back alley 
That's how the offense would be. Like, it is just a fist fight with no boxing gloves if you're going to do that on the off. For the offensive line, you're making it harder to add more bodies into the box instead of less. Where are we in the show? I it's I mean I was going to say that sounds like a something that like tailoring the offense to your young quarterback that's kind of how it sounds to me but I yes. you know I don't I don't yes. know. Yeah. But seriously, anyway. I, I don't remember what number are we on? Two. We we're on number topic? two. We're okay. on number two. <laughs> okay, good. I just I I blacked out for a second and I'm back. Here we go. Number 2. Perfect. Getting right into it. The option plays in the offense for Penn State have to be better. Um, not to be a salesman, but I gave you, I think, nine different plays f- during T. Frank's film room of option plays where Drew Aller had a potential explosive play or got his team out of a negative dead play in the run game, and he chose to give the ball to the runner and Robert like I, I should have just hit number two and then talked about it's the like copy and paste everything over from the last segment into this particular conversation about the option plays eliminating them doesn't do anything for the run game other than allow the defense to key in more specifically now if we're having a conversation about the option plays there are certain ways you block inside zone and outside zone, where you bring the tight end across the formation. It's called a split zone block or a split block. Um, you can do those with read option anyway, and you can get creative with how you use the tight end in that situation. If you're doing a straight inside zone with no augmentations, you you tend to block the defensive end instead of leaving that player unblocked. But you can also, like outside zone, it's also an option to not block the defensive end on the backside. And you're using speed to run away from him. So you're just leaving him unblocked and you're not reading him. You're just running away. And you're using the extra blockers on the front side to gain leverage on the defense. That is, it's hard for you to conceptualize probably without actually physically seeing it. But that is an option. And you want the offense to look the same. The point of zone is everything needs to look the same. So if you eliminate inside the, the, the option game in inside zone, then you're making inside zone look different than outside zone and creating another tell for the defense. So there's there's ramifications to just eliminating all the option plays. And by the way, Penn State does not run a massive amount of read option. Um, some of the things, again, our conversation over on the message board earlier this week where Nate and I got into some of these things about tailoring the offense to the quarterback, they run it less than half as much as they did with Sean Clifford pre-pandemic, which is like the James Franklin college spread option offense under Ricky Ronnie, I think at that point. So they have drastically moved away from it. They don't run it all that much, but it's in there, right? So then it becomes what is the actual harm versus what is the ramification of taking it out and causing all of these different cascading effects of, of removing the option play from the offense. And also the RPO is just a cheat code. Like don't remove the RPO. It is Manny Diaz called it the one thing that is revolutionized in a real way football before the season. The RPO causes massive problems for the defense and for um, especially the linebackers at the second level. Yeah, I, I mean, effectively, it's if, if this, then that, right? Like that. Yes. Well, why would you take those things off your plate? It's okay. I, yeah, I, I'm. Uh, I'm with you. Uh, to, yeah, but in any case, number one, Robert is Robert is correct. And Robert, again, like whenever whenever I use one of these as an example, I don't want you to feel persecuted. Like this is absolutely you have a valid point. Drew Aller needs to keep the ball. That's the answer. So like that's the progress in this game that I'm looking for from Drew Aller, which is read the end man correctly and i don't want to say brave but like be bold keep the football don't do the don't do the by the book thing you know be be the be the quarterback that makes the defense wrong at all times because that's what those options are built in there for and by the way 
there are literal triple option plays built into the offense. Again, I showed you one from last week's game where if he keeps the ball, it's not just him running. There's also an option to throw the football on a quick pass to the receiver before the offensive line gets downfield. So there's there are a bunch of things in the offense that it's on the quarterback to make those decisions. And that's why quarterback is hard. You've got to make multiple split moment decisions in order to get the right you know the the right play and get the right outcome from uh your given situation and for drew he has like sean clifford last year defaulted to my offensive line is going to get the blocks on the front side and i have great running backs and they're going to outrun the unblocked defensive end no matter what happens here and i just think that that's incorrect you know and i i haven't I'm not an expert. I have not talked to Drew privately to get that information, but based on the evidence I've seen and what that's the only logical conclusion I can come to, Nate, of why he's not keeping the ball in obvious situations where he should. I don't know either. <laughs> Want to move on? Yeah, I'm ready. I'm ready. Okay. Number one. Do you want to get two running backs on the field? Have I dismissed that? And this this is always I always want to make sure I'm not being too blind to another idea because I have been in the past and then been straight up wrong. Um, so like, is is it a good idea to get Katron Allen and Nick Singleton on the field together more because they do do it? It is a part of the offense. Yeah. Um, it, it's not every week, but they do. I mean, do this is a package they've decided it's a good idea too. The the T is that right, and then yeah. I guess occasionally they they've had uh, them on either side of of Drew in the backfield. Yes. I, I just I don't know that uh, the way it feels to me is that no matter what you do, if it doesn't work, you're wrong, and so it's just like, well, what about this? Well, what about this? Well, what about this? Well, they, they've tried different things. They, they, you know, when they do that and go off script and throw things that you weren't expecting, it's, oh, well, they were desperate at, at Ohio State, right? They, yeah. Oh, they, they panicked. And and I, I'm the one saying it. I'm the one saying that they panicked at Ohio State in the second half. They did. Yeah. Uh, but also, you generally have a good idea of what you're good at and what you have the most likelihood of succeeding, right? It, it just, some, some of this just, it defies logic for me that it's, well, you know what? We're, we're going to do, um, we're, we're going to go with what we're not good at. We're right. Like, <laughs> just, yeah. We're going to lean into that. Um, certainly there, there are elements that they're trying to get better all the time, but I, I just, I, I don't necessarily understand the rationale um, uh, over like, Hey, change fundamentally what you're doing from one week to the next that's not how it works they don't they can't do that i'm not putting kj johnson's uh comment up here because he said i'm right but i just like the fact that he said t frank illustrated <laughs> given where we work i think t frank illustrated would be hilarious it's, it's way it's way better than nate boyer at blue white illustration that's for sure uh <laughs> blue white illustration uh, Cheng Yi Feng says that he, this is a great point. I think this is, if you have a problem with the Penn state offense, I think this is a great point to make. What I don't understand the identity of the offense is when you know the strength of your opponent, why not avoid it? So that can get you into some trouble because against Ohio state, they thought their short yardage package was better than Penn state's short yardage package. So they avoided running the ball out of a heavy set in, in that game. For whatever reason, uh, I agree that they were good on the interior at certain spots, but I think my opinion is Penn State overestimated because outside of Hamilton and maybe number 91, like they were not as... I thought Penn State's physicality and size would have helped more in that situation. But he goes on to say here, Say the middle of the D-line of the strength for Maryland. Why not run 90% outside zone, wide receiver, screen, something to stretch the field? That is, by the way, that is exactly what Northwestern did. That is a great idea. And that's one thing we have not seen from Penn State is maybe not even just outside zone, but what about pitching the ball so that the, the running back gets outside? The aiming point 
add a tight end on, do certain things so that you can get away from the inside of, or run the inside, run outside zone, but have the, the, the read. What am I trying to say? Have the sweet player on a read play be a jet motion. So he's coming across the formation of full speed to get outside. There are certain things Pensei could do to augment their base plays to get outside. And I think that is something they have been stubborn about is, again, Mike Yersich wants this zone system to work. And that is we run inside and outside zone. They look the same. We rep it until we're good at it. And then you just can't stop it because we're too good at it. I think that is a fair criticism of how they've done things so far. Um, so, so I just want to give some, some voice to that of the perception of Penn state's offense, I think is a little bit stubborn in the run game, but to your point, Nate, I don't know what they're not good at based on what they run in practice and then they don't use. Yep. So let's get to we, this. Yeah. yeah. Give, give me number actually, one. <laughs> actually get to number one. So many screens in this Maryland offense. I come in every single time and I forget this. Mike Lockley's offense because it's bombs away. It's the it's the same old. This is my problem with the the Clemson offense. Is it's screen, 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 deep shot, short, 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 long, short, 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 creep up, explosive play. And there's not over generalization. There's not as many complex pass patterns. But it is it is built off, and there are because Tali Tungavaloa is a good quarterback that for the most part can see things. I think he still locks on to his first read too much. Um, but here's the information, Nate, of how many screens is so many screens. 19.5% <laughs> of his passes are screens. That's 3% more than the next Big Ten quarterback. Nate, that's when you have a percentage difference of 3% in, in like data sets, that's huge. That is massive. How does Penn State defend that? Tackling. James Franklin mentioned they've been tackling a little bit too high lately, and it's all about attacking the screen, first off, and that is a run-gap responsibility on a pass play. So if you're Jalen Reed, you're the, you're the field safety, and you got to get, first off, blow up that play. Kalen King, this is where Kalen King and Johnny Dixon, I think this is an advantage for Penn State. They're physical. They're aggressive. They like to come downhill. They like to mix it up. Then you've got the field safeties for Penn State are also in a similar fashion. You've got an eraser in KJ Winston who can run from one side of the field to the other and is 200 pounds and will light you up when he gets there. And of course, then you've got your linebackers who are smart players that from a, from a coverage standpoint, I feel like Abdul Carter has gotten better. I feel like he's legitimately taking a step as a, as a pass coverage defender. So this is where now you're in space, don't overrun the play. So to me, the linebackers specifically not missing tackles, not overrunning plays, not being hyper aggressive. I trust the secondary here. We did see Abdul early in the year make some of these mistakes against quarterbacks, and he still kind of does this every once in a while where he's too athletic. <laughs> he's too fast, and he needs to get to the point with a little more control. And this is a big game. This is a big game for him. I think this could be one of those opportunities for him to blow up again and to be Abdul from last year. So tackling is really important in this game. I mentioned, here's another way to put it. Talia Tungvaloa has 17 more screen passes than the next Big Ten quarterback. So if, let's say you throw five screens a game. That's three games more than any other Big Ten quarterback. Let's say you're aggressive and throw six, like we're into two games more of screens. So Roman Hemby, I mentioned, second in the Big Ten with 145 yards on screen passes. The next closest is uh, also Ja'Shawn Jones, number six, the receiver, hyper elusive, incredibly athletic, uh, 84 yards on screen passes. So this is a big part of their offense and Penn State needs to be able to tackle. So that's that's a big thing in this game for me. It's, it's, uh, yeah, I'm ready for it. Ask me about the deep ball now. What about the deep ball? <laughs> Perfect. You, you killed it there. Um, it's interesting because Caden Prather is dangerous. Like he is big. He's explosive. I think he's good at the catch point, but then, you know, I look at all of those skills on plays where it works, but it's inconsistent. So this is where Penn State has to, has to force the bad out of Maryland. And this is where Chop Robinson not being in the game, presumably, I think just adds another level of variance that makes me unsure about how this is going to work out. Kalen King one-on-one -on -one with Caden Prather, I don't think down the field 
um, in man coverage specifically, I don't think that that's an area of concern. Um, where I where I think personally, where I think Kalen has gotten into some trouble this year is when they give him the Deion Sanders treatment and say, okay, we're going to shade the safety to the other side of the field. You've got from the hash in and not get beat, beat deep in that situation, whether it's zone or man, is very much at the top of his mind. And he's not playing like Kalen King, who triggered and was aggressive. And when there's a safety over top of him, he shuts guys down. Like, it is easy looking. So Caden Prather, that situation, how he matches up and when he matches up, making all of those bad plays instead of good plays for Maryland is absolutely critical because he's got 18 deep targets. That is the most in the Big Ten. But he's caught six of them, um, I think. I think he's caught six. So for reference, he has fewer yards than Keandre Lambert-Smith, who's caught three. Mm. So it's a big part of the offense, but it's not super efficient. But it is dangerous, so you got to worry about it. But it's not the main thing. So, like, it's just this big old circle of, like, what's going to affect the game and how is it all going to shake out? That's that's where I think that you kind of focus on the screens. And then when they throw it deep, you feel confident that as long as it's a good situation for Penn State and you've got your best player on him, I don't think it's a concern. Is that uh, is that where the interception uh, predictability component comes into play? Uh, Yeah and no. <laughs> so... That's where he's just a wild, wild man. Tonga Valoa is like, there are moments where I look at him and I go, he's a starting NFL quarterback with the decision-making, the creativity, the anticipation, but it's like 10% of the time. <laughs> so when when is it coming? I think if I if you were to say, what is he worst at? It's against zone coverage. So if you get some pressure, kind of, you know, in a similar situation to Drew Aller, if you make him feel the pressure, he doesn't overcome that to keep his eyes and his mind locked in on where his options are. Like, he'll drop the backside uh, in route against cover three that'll be open, and he, you know, kind of stares guys down or doesn't throw with anticipation against Illinois rotated to some crazy coverages. Um, and they did a lot of zone drops from odd angles to confuse him. And instead of just processing the information, he locked up a little bit. So that's where he's not an NFL quarterback that can start is because in when it gets hard, he tends to regress to average. But you give him man coverage situations too many times where his guy wins. I don't think that that's where the interceptions come from. It comes from the clouding of the picture so i think penn state even though they want to be aggressive and deny the first read by the way that's another great way to get him to throw the ball to you is to deny the first read that's going to be a big part of it too and that's where you've got to keep it a little bit unpredictable can't be just lockdown man coverage all game you've got to throw enough in there where you will force him to throw the ball to you because he he gets a little bit cloudy in what he's looking at that's a lot to digest t frank <laughs> Which is why yeah. I'm like, who's going to win? Uh, uh. Yeah, do you, do you have any more? <laughs> do you have any more? Because I, I don't know that my uh, my brain has any more capacity for keys to the game. Um, No, that is it. That is it for the information I have to dump at your feet. Hopefully I've done that in an intelligent way that makes sense. If you need to watch Handle it couple... the screen, <laughs> deep balls. Oh, this is, this is the great reason of like, now you got to watch the show multiple times. To get all the information it's like it's like a lecture maybe um blizzard warning by the way blizzard warning said something to me in the uh in the youtube comments after you wouldn't believe remember the orange shirt i wore nate on tuesday the internet lost their minds a little bit about me wearing an orange shirt that i buttoned up to here blizzard warning said hey if penn state i think it was if penn state beats michigan will you wear a sport coat mm. um i don't know what you were referring to blizzard warning my reference meter is bad so if you want to leave a comment here in the live chat or on the re reply, let me know. He says, here, though, do our receivers ever break off routes to open areas of the defense? Is that a communication that takes time to develop? Yes. So in one of the open receivers that uh, Drew Aller missed last week, Penn State augmented one of their base plays to, okay, we're going to run two guys through one zone. And then if they play soft over the top, snap the route off, open up in the underneath, and Drew Aller didn't see it. So that is a communication. That's a thing that Drew needs to work through and get better at process. And that was one of the plays where pressure affected him and he didn't 
he wasn't calm and poised in the pocket. And I think just the problem, Nate, is like he's good. He can do it. I just don't know why it's not consistent yet. And that's always the frustration with young players, isn't it? Yeah. Which yeah. tends to alleviate over time. But, <laughs> but nobody has time. That's that's right. That's yeah. part of the that's part of the equation. Is no, nobody has uh, nobody has that patience. And and I get it. I mean, college football is. Uh, if anything, it is inconsistent itself, right? Just the very notion of next year is like, oh my goodness, all this stuff is gonna be wrong yeah. as opposed to this year. But it's uh, it works in cycles, and things tend to to sort themselves out. But yeah, I, I would predict this is me taking a huge gamble to say this. I bet Drew Aller will be better next year than he is this year. <laughs> yep. I, I think that that's fair to say, especially when, so the coach speak angle, Nate, of what you're talking about is he puts in the work to be good. It takes a lot of work to be great at football. It's a lot of studying, you know, all the crap that I just digested to uh, just regurgitated to you. Like that is 1% of what they have to go through from an information and a, and a standpoint of like predicting what the defense is going to do. So this off the players are pre-selected for their physical abilities. So the only thing that the coaching staff then wants to focus on is, are you good enough mentally to overcome any deficiencies you might have? And of course that's where recruiting comes in, Nate. It's a full circle of then you got to make sure you get the guys that have the fewest deficiencies, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. I'm going to talk in circles. I'm going to recap things from the show today, and then I'll get you out of here. Cause I know it's a long day. It's been a long week. You've got to travel tomorrow. Um, and I appreciate you coming on the show course okay so run defense um it's gonna be a muddy game i think katron allen needs to break some tackles in this game i do think they can run the ball but i don't think it's going to be uh hyper efficient so make it as efficient as you can cover zero is going to be a big part of the game one thing i didn't mention enough is that they play a lot of quarters this defense when they're not throwing everything at you they are playing quarters which is the thing that has frustrated penn state's offense the most this year so control the ball and efficiency is a part of the conversation but when you get those opportunities make them pay so penn state could absolutely run the rails off of maryland in this game if they hit some of those cover uh, zero situations but for the most part they need to be the methodical selves that they are and then hit those plays drew aller to do that needs to be better on option plays that's an absolute thing you don't need to eliminate them you need your quarterback to take them and make them um, and it doesn't mean running every single time, but just some of the time in those read option situations. And then the number one thing, control Maryland's screen game, because I think Penn State is going to handle the run game. They'll be they'll handle that just fine. For the, like, I don't think that last week in the miscommunications and everyone asking about the run defense, I don't think that's going to be an issue this week. So then if you take away the screen game, you take away a lot of what Maryland wants to do, and you get a 2022 vibe about there's not anywhere left for Tunga Baloa to go, giving you the interceptions. So that's how I see the game playing out. Nate, you're the best. Thank you very much. You're the best. Thank you for educating me for an hour. I appreciate it. I'm, I am going into that stadium on Saturday afternoon with an idea of what I might be looking at. It's great. Yeah. Knowing what's coming is kind of a big deal right now, Nate, isn't it? <laughs> Anticipating Sometimes. what your opponent is about to do is kind of a big, big 10 topic this week. I, I, yeah. Well, you know, <laughs> it helps if you've had advanced scouting on these sorts of things, but uh, this is the closest I, thing you're going to get. I hope yeah. it helps. All right. Yep. Love Enough it. Michigan jokes. Right. We'll get out of here. Madness is here. Say goodbye to busted brackets because FanDuel lets you bet on every game of the tournament. Whether you're betting on a big upset or a one seed, it's time to go dancing on America's number one sports book. Right now, new customers get $200 in bonus bets if your first $5 bet wins on FanDuel. That's 200 bucks to use on point spreads, money lines. You can even pick who's going to win it all. Just visit FanDuel.com on three 
and bet on college hoops until they cut down the nets. Must be 21 and older and present in select states. First online real money wager only. $10 first deposit required. Bonus issued as non-withdrawable bonus. Bets that expire seven days after receipt. See terms at sportsbook.fanduel.com. Fanduel is offering online sports wagering in Kansas under an agreement with Kansas Star Casino, LLC. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or visit fanduel.com slash RG in Colorado, Iowa, Michigan, New Jersey, Ohio, Pennsylvania, Illinois, Kentucky, Tennessee, Virginia, and Vermont. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP or text Next Step to 53342 in Arizona, 1-888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org slash chat in Connecticut, 1-800-9-WITH-IT in Indiana, 1-800-522-4700 or visit ksgamblinghelp.com. Dot com in Kansas, 1-877-770-STOP in Louisiana. Visit mdgamblinghelp.org in Maryland. Visit 1-800-GAMBLER.NET in West Virginia or call 1-800-522-4700 in Wyoming. Hope is here. Visit gamblinghelplinema.org or call 800-327-5050 for 24-7 support in Massachusetts or call 1-877-8-HOPE. NY or text Hope NY in New York.